Uh, right now, we're going to be hopping back into the Word. We have um, started a, just a, a brief four-week series that's based out of Acts 2.42 um, on what are the practices which formed the early church. What is it that really gave, gave rise to their ethos and to who they were? And we see that it's a dynamic church. It was a missional church. Uh, the very first day of Pentecost, when the church began... We had 3,000 people who were converted, right? If you think about that again, church's family, 3,000 of our spiritual ancestors were given birth and life on that day. And then the church then grew from there. And from the very earliest days here, we have from Acts 2.42 about what they were devoted towards. So what was, a, what was a church like that devoted to? What was it that formed them into this sort of church? Uh, let's pray before we, before we read and really get going here this morning. Father, this is your word, the word that has gone forth here uh, to, amongst your people, the word that has been inscripturated for us, the, the same word here that is proclaimed this day. You never change, your word never changes, your plans never change, and so, but we though, Change And we are in need of change. And so as we sit here, form us and change us by the power of your word, by the power of your spirit going forth into the image of Jesus. Make us new, renew our faith and give power and strength and unction to the man who's preaching here for he is weak. There's nothing that he can do apart from your spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Acts 2.42. This is the word of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. All right, so we hear that there. What is it that formed the early church? It was these things. It was the, the apostles' teaching, their devotion to that, to their devotion to the fellowship, devotion to the breaking of the bread, and the devotion to the prayers. And we talked a little bit briefly last week, and so I want to highlight again how these are all communal practices for the church. These are all what the church did together, what they were devoted to together. Not just individuals were devoted to this, but it was the church as they came together were devoted to these things. They were involved with one another. And we also saw that they are, they are very particular practices. They all begin with the. It's the teaching of the apostles, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. There's a specific intent with them. There's something that specific in this action of what they're getting at. And then we also see, again, that this is a church that was spirit-filled. This is a spirit-filled church. These, are, these means and these, these practices that they, that they gave themselves to were, uh, were spirit-filled means and they were spirit-generated means. After all, our fellowship, we'll see, is bound by the Spirit. Uh, the apostles' teaching went forth. The, Christ was, was proclaimed by the Spirit going, going with the Word. We'll see how next week, the breaking of the bread, uh, it's the Spirit working through the bread and the cup. Uh, and then finally, we'll see the last week too, the, the prayers, how the Spirit uh, helps us and works through our prayers and helps us in our weakness with the prayers. And so today then is the second week we're going to be looking at the fellowship, that they were formed by 
the fellowship. And if those aspects then of, of, of Acts 2.42 are part of this, that they were communal, it was, a, it was communal, that they were par, par, uh, particular, and it was spirit-filled, then there's something that's special about this fellowship that we read about and that the church was devoted to. So what is it that this fellowship looks like? Well, we're going to, again, as we did last week, and we're doing through the, going, uh, looking at through this series, is we're going to look at another passage that helps to flesh out a little bit more about what this is. And so to answer then, what is the fellowship? What's it look like? We're going to look this morning at the dynamics of it, of fellowship from 1 John 1, 1 through 4. This is going to be the main, the main text that we're going to be in this morning. Uh, 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Amen. The most enduring fellowships that we can think of, the most enduring bonds of fellowship are based upon love. A love that transcends, a love that overshadows any and all other bonds. People may be brought together by some sort of commonality. It could be a common interest. People are brought together by experience. We have people that are obviously brought together uh, and, and connected by bloodlines. But what turns that from just simply being brought together by commonality into true fellowship is love. And it's the same way in, with Christian fellowship. It depends upon a transcendent love. It's more than just commonality. It's love that pulls us together. It is a divine love, a love of God that pulls us together. See, Christian fellowship, the sort of fellowship that we see here in 1 John and the sort of fellowship that we see in Acts is more than just a sentiment or an experience of love. There is something objective. It is something objective and concrete that holds us together. And that is the love of God. The love of God coming to us from the Father in the Son, which we see in 1 John 1 here, and then dwelling with us or dwelling within us from the Spirit. It's objective. It is a love that is rooted in the very person and the very work of the living God. This is the love that fills the church. This is the love that drives the desire for us to express our fellowship with one another. From the earliest days, the church devoted themselves to the fellowship. They were committed to expressing their common relationship and their participation with one another. They were bound in love. And that, that, that as they were bound in love, it was expressed then through love. One of the themes that we see throughout 1 John, if you are familiar with it, is Christian fellowship. It is how brothers and sisters are to live and act with one another. 
Um, even, even down to if you see your, your brother who has needs, what should you do? What's the right thing to do? The right thing to do is to serve them, to, to provide for their needs. Right? When you see someone who, who needs to be brought into, back into fellowship, restore them. Right? It's interesting here then that, that 1 John begins with the fellowship of the triune God. That actually all of the love between, between church people, the love and the fellowship that we see in 1 John is based upon right here in these first four, vo- four verses. It's the love, the, the fellowship and the love of the triune God amongst himself here. And so we're going to look this morning at four points about this fellowship, right? What is the fellowship? What is this fellowship? Well, the first thing that we're going to see is it's a fellowship of love. With the triune God. It's a fellowship of love with the triune God. Fellowship is only as strong as the love which binds it together. And it needs to begin with the love that the church is brought into, this Trinitarian love. And so to understand this sort of love, that we need to go back all the way before creation. We need to go all the way back to who is God in eternity past. Now, we don't want to go too far in, in, in what was God doing, right? Because there are, you know, certainly we, we can understand some things in Genesis 1-1 when we just say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's nothing but God before. So what was it, though, that God was doing? All there was was God, right? One God, though, existing in perfect union in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What was God doing before creation, It's not an esoteric question. What was God doing? He was loving. Well, who was God loving? Father, Son, and Spirit were all existing with one another in love. This deep love, delight, mutual mutual care, joy, perfect fellowship, love between the persons here, perfect existence. The most holy and pure love that could ever be imagined. And to the point here that really God didn't need to create anything. God was perfectly content with who he was. God was perfectly content and delighted in the perfect love between between the Father, Son, and Spirit. This is what it means in 1 John 4, 16 when it says God is love. Love is a key divine attribute. It is love overflowing. Nothing else existed, just God, and yet God loved. Now you take a full glass, right, and then you end up bumping the full glass, and whatever's in that glass is what spills out, right? Well, if you have God, God filled to the brim with love, what spills forth? It's his love then. And so the, 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 the God's love is overflowing, and, and even that was his purpose in creating God's purpose in creating was to continue to have his love overflow and to pour out, to share in that love. He created humanity to share in that love. See, God is the perfect fount of love. He created to have his love then overflow just like a bubbling fountain and pour out then into creation and then for humanity to know that love to share in that love, to receive that love and be bound with him in that love. You were created to know love. You were created to receive love 
not just any love, but the love of God. To experience a real objective love. right? The love that's passed between the persons. To be filled with the love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. To, ha- to be filled with a love that is as real as God is in all of His relationality. Of course, the reason why we don't all know this love is because of broken communion with God, right? We have a holy love. God loves in the, and, and exists and delights in it, holiness and purity. But like all relationships, sin introduces a rift and an impediment into fellowship. That happens in human relationships. Why would we not also think that it happens in relationship with God? Especially since the love that we're talking about with God is a, is a holy and a pure love. We have a gap in the relationship. There is a barrier to the overflow of this love. The fountain isn't stopped up. It's not that God has ceased to be loving. He is still, uh, the persons are still in love with each other here. But this is the sin, this is the barrier here. That we have rejected God's love. We have rejected his communion with him. We have pushed him down and we have tried to elevate ourselves above him or even to the same level. And so here's the thing, love may overflow, right? God's love may overflow, but how do things overflow? Do they flow upwards? No. Overflow goes downwards. The love of God flows downwards. And by us trying to elevate ourselves, we are trying to put ourselves in a position to actually not receive his love. We are declaring ourselves autonomous from his love. We would rather trade God's love for lesser loves love of ourselves, to be loved by lesser things, to give ourselves to destruction in the delusion of loving ourselves, doing everything that is possible to separate ourselves from God's love and replace it with something inferior. That's what the natural person does. And every vestige of brokenness that we have in the world, that we have between people, is that, we, that you might have even in your own heart is because of a broken fellowship with God. All of the brokenness that we feel is from that. All of the broken relationships that you have or that you know are from that. But again, we have to remember, the fountain isn't stopped up. The triune God is still a God of love and he's still a God of love that's overflowing. Prepositions are small words, but they are some of the most important words. They are a preposition, right? Uh, if you think back to your grammar years, though a word that, that describes a relationship with another, right? Prepositions, small words, some of the smallest ones we have, but they're so important, right? Of, the word of, right? It, the preposition of, it can be possession, right? The love of my kids Right? The, the, the love that, that, uh, that they possess towards whatever they love. Or it could also be directional. The love of my kids can mean that my love is directed towards them. Or the preposition in, right? It's location in something. Direction. We're going heading in this direction. Uh, out, right? Another location. Sometimes it can be relationship. Prepositions are important for how you communicate. And if you don't believe me, just try going without prepositions for a whole day and you will sound like a caveman. All right? So much of the important nuance of our communication is wrapped up in these very small words. And it's the same way with, 
with the, the biblical story. It's the same way with the gospel. We have three important prepositions that are important, that are vital for it. Well, we've already talked about this from, from God, right? From is separation. It's everything that we've just talked about, everything just outlined. It is a story of human history devoid of love. We are from God. But the second one is so important. But God, right? That preposition, but, interrupts the story, doesn't it? Just when everything is at its most dire, uh uh-uh, uh-uh, but... God's love overflows undeservedly. As we see here in 1 John, it comes to us in the person of the Son. That which we have, was from the beginning, the Son here, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, as John's writing here, what he's touched with our hands concerning the word of life here. Right? This is God, the Son of God coming in the flesh, where he has been seen, beheld, touched, heard, It's God's intervention to remove the barrier of sin. But God. And but God also leads to our third then, which is with God. With God. Relational. Positional. It's a fellowship, isn't it? It means that there is restored communion, restored fellowship with God. And you see, with God... That glory of that phrase, with God, only happens because, but God. And with God, it brings us into something even better than what was broken before. Because with God happens because of another preposition. With God happens because of in Christ. In. It's that relationship of union, a relationship of sharing We have the Father in the Son, the Son in the Father, the Spirit in both, all of them in each other, existing in love. And as John writes here in verse 3, this is the relationship with God in Christ. That that which we have seen and, and, and heard we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. See, in, in Christ means that you are brought into that triune love. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. And you're brought into that. In Christ means you are brought into that relationship. And it's the Spirit then that makes us in Christ. It's a Spirit who pulls all of us together here. But pulls us into that relationship of being in Christ and in the triune relationship of God. To get to know and experience that sort of love. And see, this is the love that forms a real fellowship with God. It is, this is the fellowship. Right? Isn't that unfathomable love? I mean, how can we not say with, with Paul, oh, the riches of his kindness, right? It is his love spilling into our lives, being brought into the very heart of God's love, receiving and knowing what none of us had a right to on our own. This is a sort of love that forms the fellowship. The second point then, don't worry, the first was the longest here in the sermon, right? But the second one, and the reason why the first one was so long is because this is foundational. This is actually what sets the the, the tone for the love and the fellowship because it is part of the love and fellowship that we are brought into. And so the second 
What is this fellowship? It is also fellowship of love with the church. It's a fellowship of love with the church. This love of God here, this triune love of God is the love that fills his church. It forms the basis of our love within the body. We love because God first loved us. A fellowship is based upon this objective love of God. It is the overflow of God's love. Right? This relationship with the triune God is what our fellowship is based from. See, Christianity isn't an, an individualized faith. The Bible doesn't just talk about here about, about us as individuals, but us together. Right? We hear the phrase many times, and we probably use it too. It's, it's about your relationship with Jesus. And that's true. I don't want to denigrate that. It's important for everyone to know and understand their relationship with Jesus. But so many times we only get wrapped up in our own personal individual relationship with Jesus. And we forget that it's more than just us and Jesus walking together. It's more than just you and Jesus walking with one another. What about the person next to you? Isn't that person also walking with Jesus? Do you all, do we all have to share our time with him? Do we have to schedule in advance? Well, I get this walk with him. Oh man, I got to wait two weeks now. No, it's more about you and Jesus. It's about you and Jesus and the Father and the Spirit and about the rest of the church. Being in Jesus and being a part of this love involves being a part of the community that is in him and partakes of this love together. In other words, it's more than just your relationship with God, as important that is that is. It's also your relationship with the church. We hear that, we, really? But that's hard. But you know, that's what God has willed. He's willed us not to be just on our own, but actually to be in communion with him and with one another. And holding yourself back from the fellowship is first going against or even rejecting what God has brought the church into, the church into himself here, to be, to be partaken of together, right? But second is also depriving yourself of the communal love. We receive God's love, but we also have the love that, that is shared communally with one another. See, church fellowship, because it relies on the, on the transcendent love of the triune God, church fellowship is also transcendent. It is the community of God's love that is sharing life together in him. God, in his love, gathers disparate people together into one body to share in his love of Father, Son, and Spirit together. So our fellowship is stronger than just a common experience of knowing truth. Our fellowship with one another is stronger than the common interest in learning of God. Fellowship is based upon love. The deepest love of God, the members that the, all of the members of the church are bound together by. It is founded here by love that came to us. It's founded by Jesus who came to us in the flesh. And so then our fellowship with each other then is a non-negotiable in our, in our Christian life. Because God's intent is for his people to be bound together now and also because we're going to be bound together in eternity. Fellowship is expressed <clears throat> by manifesting this love. 
by our union together. And it goes deeper than, than, than just talking about or talking over coffee at, at their church. It's the loving interactions that we have. It's more than just a social club. And it's also fellowship is, is not just superficial either because it, it has a genuine care for each other. It looks at one another and how can we help the, the needs of one another in both body and in soul. And we see in all this here that is rooted in union at the spiritual level. That's capital S, spiritual. Spiritual as in the Holy Spirit. But third about what is this fellowship? It's fellowship that invites to participate in this love. It's a fellowship that invites to participate in this love. The danger of a tight-knit community as a church is supposed to be is that it can become a barrier to others. We can all think of instances of trying to break into a new community that's been like this, right? Either yourself, maybe you've tried to to break into a community and it's been difficult. Maybe you you have a child that's tried to to break into a community and you've seen it, it's difficult, it's painful. A tight-knit community like like that, depending on how it's held, can be hard to penetrate. Uh, Sometimes the others can have no interest in, in wanting anyone else to take part. Or if, if, if so, having them take part in, on their own terms. And so what about a tight-knit community that's formed by love for each other? Well, it's, it depends on the source of the love, doesn't it? Right? If the source of our fellowship and that love is common experience, if it's shared interests or whatever it is there, then a, that love will make, then, then be drawn inwards. And that will turn it into a love that excludes, a love that dictates terms for entry. But if source of fellowship, the source of love, comes undeserved, and that's what brought them into fellowship, then that will result in a love that is, which is tight amongst its people, but also is open and penetrable. God's love forms our fellowship. It is a love that is both exclusive and inclusive. God's love is exclusive in that it is a holy love between the persons of God. But it's inclusive in that it is love that overflows and has drawn us in undeservedly. It's the same for our fellowship. We have the same tension in our fellowship. It is a love that is exclusive for one another here, right? We have a deep love for each other, but it's also love that is inclusive because it looks outwards as well and is willing to bring others into the fold, into the fellowship. And Jesus is at the root of of both. Jesus is at the root of both this exclusive and inclusive love. The door, after all, that brought us into exclusive relationship with God is Jesus. The mercy that brings the outsider into relationship and fellowship with God, it's from Jesus. Since fellowship was never meant for any of us to be hoarded or to be kept within, it's meant to be proclaimed proclaimed so that it can be shared. After all, John, the apostle, beheld Jesus in the flesh. He knew all of this, he said, right? He beheld God, you know, he beheld the Son of God, right? He beheld him, he, he saw him, he touched him. And he knew all of the implications. He knew that this was life. But he says this is what he proclaimed to his other readers then, so that they could also join in this fellowship, to have fellowship with them and the fellowship with God. He says, so that our joy may be complete. How does fellowship like this form a dynamic and missional church like we see from Acts? 
It forms the church into a beautiful community. And beauty is meant to be shared after all, isn't it? Beauty gives God joy. All of this here, forming a beautiful community, gives God joy. It gave John joy. Right? It was, he, had, he had his joy may be, may, might be complete of the joining and fellowship with others. See, there's more to share when the, with the, when, uh, the joy. There's more joy to share when all of this is shared together. And God loves that. He delights in that. The greater the fellowship, the more beautiful the fellowship and the community, right? The community here, the fellowship that we see here, it is all of its depth. It's like a 3D portrait in an 8-bit world that longs for belonging. It has a special way of showing its contours and the hues and shadows and the depth of it. Because after all, our fellowship is a beautiful witness to the majesty and the depth of God's love. There's a crisis in Western culture today. Isolation and seeking to belong, right? Now, this isn't a sociology lesson here. It is multifactored. We're not going to get into it, but, you know, there are things such as technology, the human bent uh, in the Western world for autonomy. But the long and short of it, though, is that we are finding any ways to belong to others. We are finding any sense of community in anything, right, no matter what it is. If you want an example, here's one. One of my friends, one of my good friends back in California, he teaches English and writing at a junior college. And some years back, he was telling me about an assignment that he gave to his students, uh, a, a writing assignment where they were supposed to write something about themselves, what formed them, uh, the sense of belonging in, 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 in a community. And he told me one of his students wrote about his experience of being a brony. Now, I don't know if you know what a brony is. I didn't know at first until he told me what a brony is. But a brony is a community, uh, generally amongst younger men, uh, grown men, that is formed around uh, the, 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 the cartoon and subsequent toy line, My Little Pony. Okay? Uh, I didn't know what it was, but uh, yeah, My Little Pony. And so it's these, this group of, of men online, this is where generally this takes place, who are engaged and about this shared love, common interest in My Little Pony. Okay? But he said, what, though, in the writing here, what was deep, what was so interesting, and what was frankly deeply confessional, not only to admit that he was a brony, which this is the first time that he admitted it in public outside of his own online community, but he was deeply confessional in that he admitted that this, young, that this young man didn't really care at all about My Little Pony. He could have cared less about the cartoon. He could have cared less about the little girl's toys and everything that went with it. But it was a community, though, where he online where he was able to find acceptance and belonging. And that was the draw for him. It wasn't My Little Pony at all. It was that he had found acceptance. And it's interesting because it highlights something horribly wrong. That people will search for community and belonging in anything, right? I mean, a sense of belonging even in something as meaningless and absurd as that. So how does the church stand in the gap? Right? How, how do we show something better? A community that's much, much better by owning who we are. That we are the fellowship and the communion of saints. 
and that we have made tangible amongst us the love of the triune God and that it's comprehensible and that others, if they want true belonging, it can be found here. A transcendent, beautiful belonging, right? Far above anything else and where we as a church then can be a place where people can find this sort of belonging in Jesus. The church is a refuge for the relationally broken and isolated. People with broken relationships here can know restoration. Even when they have destroyed those relationships by their own doing. It's a place here to find refuge in God's love that is manifest here by the church. It's a place where to be drawn into divine fellowship that is made tangible by the fellowship that we share. And it begins with God mending our relationship with him. This becomes just as important when the fellowship, when being a part of the fellowship means renouncing prior fellowships. It's costly for some people to follow, right? It's costly for some people to have to leave behind the old ways of life and all their relationships and everything that they've known. There is a human belonging, after all, is a powerful draw, isn't it, right? And so for those people who who are, are... are seeking to be, to be a part of the church, who are seeking to, to be in communion with the living God, what will they find amongst us? Will they find the church be open with its arms open, willingly bring them in and welcoming them in, into the fellowship? And will the fellowship then, which they are brought into, be seen as a safe place, as a community that they would want to belong to? Friends, our fellowship is in union with Jesus. And Jesus has a particular aroma about him. It's a sweet, pleasing aroma. It is alluring. It is attractive. And if Jesus forms our fellowship, then what is the aroma that fills our gathering? Fourth, then, this is a fellowship that forms us as we gather. What is this fellowship? It forms us even as we gather. The Acts Church was devoted to the fellowship, they were devoted to gathering. Now, fellowship isn't just something we do. Fellowship is what the body does. Before it's a verb, it's a noun. It's what the church is and the participation which it shares with one another. Therefore, the church here is a theater. And what takes center stage in the theater? Love. Love that is passed between each other. Love that comes from the overflow of God's love which we are drawn into. It is the triune love of God which forms our fellowship in every way. But see, this fellowship also forms us. The practice of gathering forms us. Gathering and fellowship is a practice. And gathering and fellowship does take practice. And after all, practice forms us, right? A team, to get better, they are taking repetitions with one another, right? The first team, they're, they're the ones that are, that are getting better because they're taking all the reps. Uh, you take reps during training, right? You do reps in exercises and workouts, and you do all this to be stronger and better and, 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 and all of this here through, through regular reps and practice. The more reps that you have for expressing the fellowship then, the easier and the more natural it becomes But at the same time, like all muscles, without reps, without taking those repetitions, they become weak, don't they? They become flabby. Case in point, 
Many of us, when we were in isolation during COVID, some, some of us got, got a little flabby because we weren't able to take our reps. And it disrupted the habits of many. And it took a long time for some of us to regain gathering together as normal. Right? We have been out of habit. Our muscles grew weak and flabby. And they needed reps again to regain that muscle and to retrain those habits again. The fellowship forms us as we express it together when we gather. Habits need to get built. And that means reps need to be taken. Being devoted to the fellowship here is where we experience more of God's triune love, more of of God's love for us here. God's love came to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus came to us to lovingly redeem, to save us from our sins, and also to do his work among us. And that's part of the spirit that he gave to us, the spirit of holiness to grow us, to sanctify us in holiness. And that doesn't happen on its own. The spirit doesn't just zap his holiness into us. That would be way too easy. But the Spirit uses the fellowship here. He uses others to grow us into holiness. Right? Because just when you think that you're doing pretty good, what happens? You come into contact with others. And our fellowship is maybe among saints, but it's also among sinners who rub and scrape against each other. And frictions break out. And where heat arises and where sin happens... But the fellowship, though, is also a means that God uses to form us in his love. It's his love, then, to smooth out our edges when we come into contact with others. It's his love that is passed between one another as we are granting forgiveness, as we are learning to receive forgiveness, as we are relying upon the Spirit to work harmony among us. See, that is the process of growth and holiness happening, and it happens in fellowship And as we do that, we learn more and more of grace as it's passed with one another. There's also, though, a primary and a particular focus of our fellowship. That's gathering for worship. It is a central act of expressing the fellowship. The body scattered becomes the body gathered. Acts 2.42, we heard it was communal. Right? They were gathering together and they they were being devoted to the apostles' teaching. And that implied gathering. And here now we have the expression of the fellowship, the church coming together to hear as one. Gathering for worship forms us. It reminds us that we are saved into a community of grace. That we are not individuals, but we are part of a body, a wider body, of a historical body. Because when we gather here, when we sing, when we we confess our faith, when we do all of these things... It is the voice, what do we hear? We hear the voices of the body of our brothers and sisters around us. They're filling our ears. They are reverberating against the walls and they are encouraging us. When we come around the table week after week, we are the fellowship, we are the family coming and partaking together from the one bread. See, this is where God's present and at work among us. That means worship reminds us of who we are. And worship reminds us of who we will be someday. What we do in our times here is what is a shadow of what's to come. It's a shadow of the the new creation. We are spiritually bound. We are the body. We are called by God into joyful communion with him and with one another. And for as imperfect as we are, we are still drawn into this communion of love. 
and he'll renew us someday. Gathering is part of our countercultural witness. When you gather, you are telling the world that life is deeper than self-centered desires and deeper than individualism. That there's something better. That the church doesn't compete with Sunday mornings, but that the activities of the world are in competition with the transcendent God meeting with his people and promising to renew all things. When we gather, we are responding to the summons of our God who calls us into fellowship with him. So again, all this comes down to the basis of our fellowship. We are pulled into the mutual love of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And that must be our priority. Because if we lose the wonder of that, then we lose the wonder of genuine Christian fellowship. Brothers and sisters, it is wonderful It is amazing that God would draw us into this fellowship with himself, among himself, and at his own expense. Let's pray. Lord God, how wonderful and beautiful it is, and how strange it is for the sort of fellowship and the communion that we have with you, that you would come and bring us into that And I say us because it is those, all of us, who are in you. Grow us into a a congregation, into people who have not only a priority of fellowship, but a fellowship that is genuine, a fellowship that that is deeply loving, a fellowship that is tight, but a fellowship also that that looks outward. And it is inclusive to all who may want to come and find refuge in you. Form us into a people who display the beauty of the gospel that Jesus came for sinners. Not just a sinner like myself or a sinner like a particular individual, but for us. And grow us in faith, grow us in peace, and grow us in grace all together. In Jesus' name. Amen.